So this is going to be the uh, sort of the final message on our emphasis for our prayer and fasting. And uh, so it's basically the second from last week. The question from, do I really want to grow spiritually? That's a good question. And we touched on that last week. And every year when we go through our 21 days of prayer and fasting, we all come to some kind of realization of things that we need to remove from our lives or things that we need to add to our lives or probably the hardest of all is things that we need to control in our lives. And it isn't always as uh, innocuous as, you know, eat less sweets, okay? It isn't always as easy as uh, read the Bible more. But many times it's things that are more, much more personal, such as trust God regardless of how you feel. Believe Him for His consistent faithfulness regardless of how things look. Remember that you're in this world to be a reflection of Christ, but that doesn't mean it's going to be easy. And that there are difficulties associated with seeking God. And so, today, we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture that I find personally to be really, really unique. Um, For those of you who have been reading the Bible a lot longer than me, the more that you read it, the more you begin to recognize certain words and themes that occur more often in other places. <clears throat> uh, for example, if, if I'm around people that use the word y'all a lot, I know I'm dealing with someone from Texas or Oklahoma or, or back that way, right? And, uh, and if, I, if, I, if I hear someone that says I'm fixing to do something, I'm pretty sure they're dealing from Oklahoma, okay? Um, but then if, if I hear the word pecan... I'm dealing with a, somebody from nor, up the northern states. And, uh, you know, if they say tomato, I'm just not know what to do with that. <laughs> but you can generally detect where, you know, the way th- words are used, how people say things, what they mean, kind of what's going on. And as you read your Bible, you begin to be able to, piece together a bigger picture of Scripture. Now, that doesn't mean that you've solved all the questions. And I I want you all to know that a a lifetime of Bible study, seeking God, will probably end in more questions uh, than you will ever get answered before you die. Because it, it never stops giving. Jesus becomes bigger Right? That's the first thing you begin to notice. In fact, he becomes the central focus of everything. Sometimes that's in his loving kindness as Savior. Sometimes in it's his fierce wrath as judge. But you see Jesus everywhere. And then you begin to understand the Bible as it's, as it's put together. Now, our Bibles are not assembled chronologically. You should know that. It's from longest to shortest. 
You can get a chronological Bible reading plan to go through in a year. That's pretty fascinating because you'll get to a certain part of Nehemiah and you'll stop. And then you may go to Ezra or something, okay? But it's not broken. It's just that's the chronological way. It doesn't really matter to me how you read your Bible as long as you do and as long as you become associated and acquainted with themes. But here's what I want to let you know first. Preeminently, Jesus Christ is the whole focus of Scripture. If you're here and you don't know Jesus and all you do is hear of Jesus, I want you to know Him. But I can't make that happen for you. And I am grateful to God and His benevolent grace that He has brought you to this place and that you would hear today. Perhaps your heart would be responsive to the compelling of the Holy Spirit to confess of your sins, repent of your sins, and turn to Him and, as Savior. To, to proclaim Him and profess Him publicly that Jesus is mine and I am His. And in a changing world of bizarre things that you just can't think can get worse and do, they all pale in comparison to the consistency of the preeminence of Jesus. Now, we're getting ready to go through the book of Galatians. And I have a big Puritan title for it. Okay? Here's what it's going to be called. The Magnificent Preeminent Gospel. Because that's what Galatians is about. It's about the gospel. And it's magnificent. And it's been there since the beginning. There's no other book that's brought it out so much more clearly. But that's coming. But even in this that I'm about to, shed, to, to share today is setting us up for, for that. And, and the question is, as we continue this, do I really want to grow spiritually? First, let me just, for all you box checkers out there, it's not about checking the box. It's about being a real human being with struggles. Some are physical, some are mental, some are both. It's about being a human being that's in desperate need of a great and mighty Savior from which your failures can never overshadow His brilliance. So let us look in then in Romans chapter 13, verses 11 through 14. Let's stand in honor of God in the reading of His Word. Romans chapter 13, 11 through 14. This is the pericope because that's a cool word to, instead of saying all these verses. Okay? That's what it means. It's a chosen selection of passages out of a bigger passage. Romans 13, verse 11. And do this. I like that part right there. And do this. Knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry, drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. Let us pray. Lord, we ask for understanding in the word that you have for us today. We ask that you would give us an understanding to what Paul was trying to say to them then. And Lord, what we're to take from it now. 
Because we are all part of the same body of Christ through the ages. And in Jesus we pray. Amen. First, Romans. A book that was written by the Apostle Paul, I believe from Corinth. He desired greatly to go to Rome. We have no evidence that he had been there. He did not start the church there. But there was a church there in Rome. Paul wanted the relationship that the Gentile believers had with the Jewish believers to be strong. Because it wasn't. It It is vitally important that you and I understand that That age that you hear a lot about in Scripture referred to the Jewish age that they lived in, where the temple was preeminent, right? And in that region, that that part of the world, it was everything, Judaism. Everyone else was unclean. The Jews had a real long look down to Gentiles. And as a result, the Gentiles had a real low look of them too. It was not good race relations, (laughs) if you will. And this was just how it was. This was the air you breathed. But then something happened. The preeminent Jew, the perfect Jew came. Jesus came, paid for the sin debt, and brought two worlds together, fulfilling Jeremiah chapter 31 in the new covenant of grace, incorporating the Gentiles into that olive tree, Whereby we benefit from the promises made to, to them as a nation. But they didn't get along very well. Because there was that, that instant angst between the two groups. Now you all know that there was a court of the Gentiles in the temple. And in the synagogues, Gentiles were welcome to come in. You remember Cornelius, right? He was a proselyte. He was a very devout proselyte. But he wasn't Jewish. And there were many like that. And in Rome, the the Christians that were there, Jews and Gentile, would attend synagogue together. Then the Jews, now this is important. During this time, around 58 or so, there began to be the Jewish uprisings beginning to happen. You remember reading about the zealots? Okay. Simon the zealot, right? Well, this was a big group. And there was a lot of tension beginning to develop in the region. Well, Claudius, Emperor Claudius, decides that the Jews are the problem. And at that moment, at that point in history, Christianity was seen just as a sect of Judaism. So if you were a Jew, you were kicked out of Rome. Priscilla and Aquila got kicked out of Rome, and we read about that. Now the Gentile Christians could stay, because it would be easy to, you know, not stick out like that. But then later on, after Claudius died, because Agrippina poisoned him and Nero came to the throne, the, the Jews came back to Rome. And they came into the synagogue and suddenly that old rivalry resurfaces. If you notice in Romans chapter 12, 
Paul talks a lot, and we won't go through it indiscriminately because we just don't have time, but he talks about living according to mercy and to present their bodies as living sacrifices in 12.1. He talks about, in chapter 13, submitting to government. And this is hard because you have to understand, Nero in power was a wicked, wicked, wicked man. We have no concept of how wicked he was. He was known from antiquity as, and I, and I quote, the beast. That's what he was called. You read about him in Revelation, actually. And he was beginning to make his, his, his claim known. So the thought of submitting to this kind of government was just, well, well, we kind of look at our current political climate and all of us have a bit of a trouble with various ideas that come down from on high there in that part of the world. But imagine them, the Roman authorities, just digging in and oppressing. And the Jews are persecuting the Christians, which are largely Jewish, but there's a growing Gentile part of that. And they're persecuting them hard, which doesn't help Gentile-Jew relationships. And it also carries over into the church as well. So you imagine the tension then in the synagogue where you've got a mixture of Jewish Christians, uh, Gentile Christians, and just Judaistic Jews. (laughs) And they're all going to synagogue. So you can imagine kind of what that's like. You know, why didn't I get my snack today? Well, because they hate your guts. And or, you know, who knows? And so Paul is writing to encourage a mixed group here. And we see in Romans two thoughts going forward. Admonitions to the Jewish Christians and admonition to the Gentile Christians. It was hard on both of them. He talks about loving each other. In verse 8 of chapter 13. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For he who loves another has fulfilled the law Because there was still this great need to keep the law. How hard was it to take the law out of a Jewish mindset? How hard? But then we read in our verses this very odd passage that I highlighted today. And do this after talking about love does no harm in verse 10 to a neighbor. Therefore, love is a fulfillment of the law. Do this, knowing that the time, or do this knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is dearer than when we first believed, and the night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the words of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. I read that and I think, what is he talking about? That's odd, but it sounds very familiar to other places in Scripture. Bear with me. I'm going to give you some verses that connect here. My batteries are going to go dead. You might want to switch to the mic or the pulpit mic. Huh? Oh, you already did? Good to know. (laughs) I I won't waver here. So just bear with me as I read through some scriptures that relate to what he just said about the night being far spent and the day is at hand. I'm going to start back in Mark 9. You don't want to chase these. I'll be fast. 
Mark 9, verse 1, Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that there are some standing here who will not taste death till they see the kingdom of God present with power. Really? How? Okay. Matthew 23, 32 through 36. Fill up then the measure of your father's guilt. This is John. Serpents, brood of vipers, how can you escape the, escape the condemnation of hell? Therefore, indeed, I send you. Pro- oh, oh, I'm thinking Jesus. I'm sorry. Therefore, I, indeed, I send you prophets, wise men, and scribes. Some of them you will kill and crucify, and some of them you will scourge in your synagogues and persecute from city to city, that on you may come all the righteous blood shed on the earth, from blood of righteous Abel to the blood of Zechariah, son of Berechiah, whom you murdered between the temple and the altar. Assuredly, I say to you, all these things will come upon this generation. Now, before that, John the Baptist was saying the axe is now laid at the root of the tree. Well, you get into Matthew 24 and, and, and Jesus is answering the question of when they ask, when are, when are all these things going to happen with the whole temple being destroyed and stuff? And he gave him a very direct answer. And you all know it. There'll be tribulation and persecutions and earthquakes in various places and all that kind of stuff. And he says... At the bottom of that, those, those texts about around there, verse 34, so you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near at the doors. And I say to you, this generation by no means pass away till these things take place. And in Matthew 26, Jesus said, it is, it is as you said, nevertheless I say to you, hereafter you will see the Son of Man sitting at the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. And then Romans 13, we just read our verses, we'll read them again and do this. Knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than we first believed. The night is far spent. The day is at hand. The day is at hand? Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. So do you get the... You be, do, are, you, are you traveling along here that this seems to be eminent language in Romans 16.20? And the God of peace, Paul writes, will crush Satan under your feet shortly. It doesn't say sometime later. It says shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you all. Just bear with me a little bit more. 1 Corinthians 7, 29, 31. But this I say, brethren, the time is short. So that from now on, even those who have wives should be as though they had none. Those who weep as though they did not weep. Those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. And those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use this world as not misusing it for the form of this world is passing away. Colossians 3, 6. Because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you yourself once walked when you lived in them. 1 Thessalonians 2. Forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved so as to always fill up, and he's talking about the Jews, always uh, to fill up the measure of their sins, but wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. Hebrews 10, 25. Now this one ought to get you. Not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together. We always talk about that. People don't go, right? But we should finish it. As as is the manner of some. But exhorting one another. and And so much more as you see the day approaching. The day? What day? For yet a little while, in verse 37 of chapter 10 of Hebrews, and he who is coming will come and not tarry. James 5, 8. 
You also be patient. Establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord is at hand. And then verse 9, do not grumble against one another, brethren, lest you be condemned. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. Finally, last two, 1 Peter 4. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. And for this reason, the gospel is preached also to those who are dead, that they might be judged according to men in the flesh, but live according to God in the spirit. Now, then, listen, but the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be serious and watchful in your prayers. In 1 John 2, last one. And the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever, little children. It is the last hour. And as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. Even now, many Antichrists have come, by which we know it is the last hour. So what do you get out of those things? What are, they, what, why, what are all those verses connected to? Imminency. Not 2,000 years later, imminency either. It makes no sense. So what's, what's, why is it important for us to know? Well, this is just my opinion. There's various views. But I'm going to say that it's really, it really weakens us. It, it, it handicaps us if we do not understand that Paul and Peter were killed under Nero. He was persecuting the church like no one had ever done. Okay? The Christians knew what Jesus had said was going to happen in Matthew 24, Mark 13, and Luke 21. You understand that? They knew that Jerusalem was going to be judged, that Israel was going to be judged for their sin, and that their precious temple was going to be destroyed down to the last stone. They knew it. Did you know that some atheistic philosophers try to use Matthew 24 as proof that Jesus was a false prophet? Because he said, this generation will see all these things. And we just read the verses over and over and over. And indeed, it did happen. The, the language that you see there is the same used of the Babylonian uh, destruction upon Israel in the Old Testament, coming with clouds. All that stuff is happening. So, so what difference does it make? Well, first, I think we need to respect the fact that these Christians were very aware of what was looming. For example, for, well, I don't know if we have anyone here that was alive before World War II started. Okay, but let's say you were, okay? And I read a history book of 1940, okay? Great big events happening in 1940. And I'm like, what? Why is everyone so focused on this war? What was going on? What was, well, Hitler, rights of Nazism, what difference does that make to anything? It changed the world. Well, I don't, uh, yeah, but that was, surely there had to have been more. No, you don't understand. Everything in American life and, and, and the, the globe was focused on that. We, they all knew what was coming. And of course, they got into the war and then they got out of the war. And then you had the post-war years. 
So it's really impossible to look at history like that and not, be, and not say that everyone was sort of affected by what they knew was coming and what happened, right? Well, it's the same thing when we read our Bibles. Now, I happen to be of the opinion that the entire New Testament canon was written before A.D. 70. They knew what Jesus had said was going to happen. So they had that sense about them of this coming destruction that was, it nearly took Rome down. It was the, there was a year of nine months between AD 68 and 69 where Rome nearly fell. Revelation talks about the beast receiving a fatal wound and coming back. There was civil war in Rome and they destroyed nearly one another. And it was a year of four emperors. One is, one shall be, and all that. So when you read Romans, or you read places from James, or you read 1 Peter, or you read Colossians, you read Thessalonians, you need to understand these Christians knew what was about to happen. And what does Paul say? Do this. He says, do this. Knowing the time that it is now. Now, so time isn't in the sense, in this particular instance, like, uh, chronos, in the sense of what, what, what time is, it's, well, it's, you know, you need to start preaching fast because you're losing time. But it's, 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 it's the season that we're in. It's the time. Knowing the times that we live in, right? And he's saying, this is that time. He said, it's high time to awake. Awake out of sleep. All Christians, regardless of time, seem to struggle with getting comfortable in their life. And, and God is grateful to bring difficulty sometimes to realign us. And I don't believe that he desires to use that. We have to remember something about God, and it's a word that I love about him so much. It's the word loving kindness. Cause me to know your loving kindness. In the morning. Because I trust in you. Psalm 143. 8. Your loving kindness. Leads me. So. Cast off. And we're going to develop this now. Question. Do I really want to grow spiritually? Last Sunday we took a look. At what it meant to have a passionate pursuit of Jesus. We learned that pressing on, the way Paul used the language, described an intense passion to know Christ more. Therefore, it is to be understood that if we really want to grow spiritually, it is going to require intensity in dealing with those things that hold us back and intensity in implementing that one thing that makes all the difference. And that one thing is waking up. These verses, I believe, here that we're reading are eschatological, but not in the final consummation. But in a coming of the Lord and judgment upon Jerusalem, that he was telling them, you better shake it loose, guys. You need to love your Jewish brethren. They're going to need you, and you need them. You're one in the Lord now. Start acting like the body you're supposed to be. Don't get comfortable with your Roman culture, because it's going down. The whole world's about to shift. So wake up. Know your time. 
Now you say, well, what difference does it make if Jesus came in judgment on Jerusalem back in AD 70 when you read the Bible? Because it helps you to understand the mindset with which they were writing. The, the seriousness of the hour. Well, what does that make a difference to us? It means that if, if Paul said, you've heard what Jesus said he was going to do and he did, because we look back and we can read what happened and he did, well, then we can rest assured that what Jesus is going to finish, he will. Right? Okay. So he did come in judgment on Jerusalem in AD 70 and all eyes did see him. Those that pierced him did. He's coming again. Now, when? I don't know. But he tells us to be ready. But more than looking up at the sky, he tells us to be effective. To enjoy him and to love him above all else. And he, and he tells us to tell others about him. We shouldn't be lulled to sleep any more than they were in Rome. And in case you haven't noticed, you can't get too comfortable with your political circumstances because things change. Uh, some of you know, or may, well, probably a lot of the guys know, not a few of the girls maybe, but uh, on Am uh, Netflix or some Amazon, I don't know, there's World War II in Living Color. I don't know which one it's on. And it's just a colorized documentary of World War II leading up to it and all that. And... Uh, Wow, I just, you know, watching it uh, and listening to it again, I mean, how all the dots connect and how the people started thinking very insular and what was going on in Nazi Germany and, and man, siphoning off Polish children and breeding them and just the thinking and the Nazi youth movement and the propaganda and, and how the world turned and then how they started teaching that Jewish people are subhuman and that people believe that. And you think, how could that ever happen? And I, well, look. There's one class of baby that's okay to have and should be protected, but the other one should be killed. It's just all a matter of time. We do it now, too. So, as Paul is saying to them, know your time, I say know your time. Now, look, I will also add this. It doesn't mean that we should just give up and not do anything. Because there's something that happened after that moment in AD 70. The church went global <laughs> everywhere. Jesus is on his throne reigning. Our hope, while difficult sometimes in our practical lives, is ever increasing. So I'm sorry, you won't find any pessimism on me. That doesn't mean I get, do I get concerned about getting a loaf of bread because of something going wrong here? Well, you know, it could be a little disturbing. But in the end, I'm living the life that Jesus said we would all live. Where should my heart be? With him. What should be my main pursuit? Him. Who do I serve? Him. What should be my disciplines? Him. Where does my joy come from? Yeah. Matthew Henry writes on this. Know the time to be a busy time. <laughs> I like it. Know the time to be a busy time. We have a great deal of work to do. And our master is calling us again and again. Know the time to be a perilous time. We are in the midst of enemies and snares. It's high time to awake for the Philistines are upon us. 
Our neighbor's house is on fire and our own is in danger. Doesn't mean that we're going to be conquered. It just means, well, like they said in the Incredibles movie, when Bob was comatose because he was an insurance agent, and the mom was, engage, Bob, engage. That was my favorite line of the whole thing because he's just holding the baby as it's screaming and he's not there. Engage, Bob, engage. Church, know the time, engage. Remember Psalm 110. You might want to turn there if you have your Bibles. And if you don't, you should have your Bible electronically or in print form, one or the other. But you should have something with which to turn to the Scripture when you go to church. Psalm 110. One of my favorite psalms in light of the fact that Jesus reigns and he's included us in on it. Look at it. The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. How many enemies are there of the Lord? Seem to be quite a few. The Lord shall send the rod of your strength out of Zion. Rule in the midst of your enemies. So whether, you know, they want to. It really doesn't matter to me so much what they plan. I'm wanting to see what my king's going to do with it. And then he says this in verse 3. This is a good part. You're going to want to highlight this. Your people. Whose people? The Lord. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power. And in the beauties of holiness from the womb to the, of the morning, you have the dew of your youth. The Lord is sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek. Your people shall be volunteers in the day of your power. We serve the Lord Christ. This is a picture of the church. Okay. And then he says, the Lord is at your right hand. He shall execute kings in the day of his wrath. Well, I want you to know there was a big day of wrath that happened around A.D. 70. And there's been days of wrath happen. And there's going to be a big one coming. So wake up. Be alert. Be steadfast. He shall judge among the nations in verse 6. He shall fill the places with dead bodies. Man, he shall execute the heads of many countries. And he shall drink of the brook by the wayside. Therefore, he shall lift up the head. He wins. And so it says now is the time of service to our king. That's what time it is. It's time of service to our king. Christian. If God has you working around lost people, that's your assignment. You say, well, I'm not fixed up for that. Well, you need to get fixed. How do you do that? Well, first thing you got to do is say, hey, come here, a person that I work with. Sit down in this chair while I preach a good gospel sermon to you for the next 30 minutes. And then I'm going to ask you questions. And I'm going to give you a form to fill out. No, don't do that. <laughs> okay, don't. That, Don't do that. Live in such a way that they ask a reason for the hope that's in you. When you fail, live in such a way by how you make it right that they ask a reason for the hope within you. That would be my preferred method, it seems. And also, get to know them and ask them how they are. Know their names and say, hey, you're struggling. Can I pray with you? And then, when you've earned the right, share Christ with them. Pray for that opportunity. Be intentional. Be active. 
I don't have time to go through all the scriptures. Awake out of sleep, 1 Corinthians 15, 34. Awake to righteousness and do not sin, for some do not have the knowledge of God. And he says, you do, and I speak this to your shame, he writes. You have the knowledge of God. If you know Christ, you have the knowledge of God. Okay, You have a message to share, to tell. And this is the message that unless you repent of your sins, you will perish. Jesus Christ died to save sinners. I am a sinner. He saved me. I know many who are, and He saved them too. Come to Christ and live. Your ideas are no good. They won't work. I don't care what you think of God. He doesn't ask you for your opinion. But I'm going to give you His. Repent or you will perish. 1 Peter 4.3 For we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles when we walked in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatry. You remember what? Now, I became a Christian at 12. There's not a whole lot of thing a 12-year-old farm boy can get into, you know, out in the middle of nowhere. Some of you came to Christ later in life. So you might say, well, man, I've had my time with this stuff. But you remember where you came from and you remember the emptiness of it. And when you're working with that person who comes in all hungover, slogging through life, thinking they've got the bull by the horns and other euphemisms. Just get to know them enough to say, can I tell you something better? For now our salvation is nearer than we first believed in verse 11 of our text. Our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. And Paul is telling them, this thing's about to come down on you like the fierceness of ten lions. My dad used to use that phrase all the time. I don't know where he got it. But it was meant serious. And that persecution that they were experiencing from Nero and the Jews, was they were under the gun. It was bad. Paul was killed by Nero. Peter was killed by Nero. They, other Christians were used as human torches under Nero. Animal skins and all sorts of perverted things from the beast as he did that. And Paul is saying, your salvation is drawing near. Because things changed. Not instantly, but it changed. Matthew Poole writes on this. Some would understand it of temporal salvation and deliverance from those persecutions which befell the Christians in the infancy of the church. From these they were saved and delivered by the destruction of the Jews in AD 70, their persecutors. This was foretold by Christ in Matthew 23 through 24, and expected by the Christians, and it was nigher at hand than when they had embraced the Christian faith. But most understand it of eternal salvation, which he says was nearer than when they first believed, in which words is couched another argument to awaken or stir up the believing Romans. The first was taken from the consideration of the time or season, the second from the nearness of the word. Therefore, it should be with them as with those that run the race. The nearer they come to the goal, the faster they run, lest others should get before them. And so here's what we have. We have the, out, the actual event, and we have the ideal of what it means. It's both. These things are both. It's foolish if you think for a second to look back and say, well, all that happened in 87 doesn't matter to me. No, it still matters. Because these evils are in the world. History tends to repeat itself sometimes. Well, seems quite frequently, don't you think? And uh, we don't seem to learn very quickly. So my thing is, take the lessons that Paul is teaching the Romans here and wake up and know that now the salvation is nearer than when you first believed. He made good on it. Jesus did in AD 70. He's going to make good on it again. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness 
Let us put on the armor of light. In Hebrews 8.13, in what he says, a new covenant, this is what Hebrews says, he has made the first obsolete. Do you know what was happening? you know what the writer of Hebrews was saying? That temple over there is about to go away. And that old covenant is passing away. It's becoming obsolete and growing old, ready to vanish. In Hebrews 10.25, it says, Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves. I just read this one together as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much so as you, more as you see the day approaching. Now, what day do I, what day do I, I know what day they were seeing approaching. They saw the Roman hordes getting ready to jump and all the vassal nations gathered round. That's what Jesus said to look for. That's what they saw. What do we see? I see Jesus, I see Jesus putting his enemies under his feet. One by one. And they make their plans and they sell their news. And every, we all get worked up about it. And I always feel dumb when I do because I'm like, darn, he did it again. Okay? Because that's, that's what the news is about. It's just to suck you in and keep you there. Right? I mean, when's the last time you had a paper be so successful and nothing but good stories about kittens being rescued and deer licking somebody's face in the hunting stand? That doesn't work. Okay? That doesn't sell newspapers. Nobody wants that. Corrupt society. But I'm telling you, Jesus is putting his enemies under his feet. And as he does, he calls us to be ambassadors. And as he does, he calls some of us to struggle, some of us to suffer. And at times, all of us too. Are we ready to be available? Are we available? Do we know him? Are we ready to stand up and preach the gospel no matter the cost? Because what if the Lord should appoint the American Christian to such a thing as he puts his enemies under his feet? Hmm. Night is far spent, days at hand. Therefore, I like the therefores because when it tells you, it tells you what it's there for. So, so that, thank you. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness. So stuff holds us down. And he says right here to the, to, to the Roman believers, Jew and Gentile, cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. You and I have a natural bent to sin. Okay. We just are good at it. And I want to tell you, casting off from the Greek means to stop oneself being in a state or condition conceived of as divesting oneself of a garment. Take it off. Remove your lust. You say it's sticky. Like that plastic that you can't get it off. Go to Jesus. He'll take it. And then he says, put on light. Be clothed is what he means. To be or become bestowed or endowed with a quality or condition understood as being wrapped in a covering. Do you, do you know what makes uh, Bratwurst work? The casing. You can also squeeze it out of there and make a really good mash. But anyway... <laughs> Um, I'm just saying, you, it's, it's what we're encased in. Now, I want to ask you a question. This is one of those questions. What are you wrapped in? Is Jesus your, your wrapping? Now, that doesn't mean you're perfect, and that's not the... By the way, this is a very imperfect church. If you're new here, welcome. But we are all very imperfect... We're very uh, impractical sometimes, and, and uh, we're very introspective here. 
but we love the Lord and we trust his sanctifying work in us as the captain of our salvation. If you don't know Jesus, this is the walk of life. But I'm not alone, though sometimes I feel that way. And sometimes I hate that my, that my experience doesn't match my faith. But then I read, but then I read of other things from those of old who felt the same way. I really, I know I shouldn't be discouraged, but sometimes I get that way. And it's in those days I know that Jesus loves me less. You guys better be quicker than that. What if some real charlatan came in here and started preaching to you guys? Would you just take it? Come on. No, this isn't a point system. Okay? I, I didn't earn my salvation. I don't keep my salvation. And his mercy upon me is of love. And it's of his son shed to me. So I can feel crummy and bad. But his eye is still on me. Because his son is on me. Walk properly as in the day. Not in revelry and drunkenness. Not in lewdness and lust. Not in strife and envy. So we have this list here. Revelry. That's an old word for meaning partying, I guess. And drunkenness. We all know what that means. By the way, I think that also supplies to... We should use eatenness too. Don't you think that ought to be there? Drunkenness slash eatenness. Like when you eat too much. Eatenness. What's the other word for that officially? Gluttony, right? Okay. Not in lewdness. That's being ugly, sexually nasty stuff. And lust, where you're just like... I think I've lost them. He says, not in strife and envy. Do do any of you ever envy what other people have sometimes? You know, it doesn't always have to be stuff. It can be love. It can be relationships. It can be... uh, It can be even how you see yourself. You envy the fact that uh, you haven't attained what you think you might should have. Man, we're messed up people. Deeply dysfunctional. But he says, let us walk properly. Peripateo. That's a fun one. If you get a new puppy, you should name it Peripateo. Because essentially it means behavior. So, Lorraine, there you go. Okay? She says she doesn't train dogs. She trains people. You could, you could create a new dog uh, fellowship called Peripateo Dog Training for People. <clears throat> Help me, Ren. But it means to live or behave in a specified manner. Now, what do you think that specified manner is? The law of Christ. In Romans 8, 1, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. That's pretty clear. In 1 Thessalonians 2, 12, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. Walk worthy. And 1 Thessalonians 4, 12, that you may walk properly. There it is again, peripateo. All these words, by the way, are peripateo. Toward those who are outside. Toward those who are outside. Do any of you find that difficult? Just asking. 
Okay, put on Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. Be clothed in Christ. Make no provision for the flesh. Here's a really simple way on how to do that. When you go to the grocery store, don't buy ice cream if you're trying to not eat sweets. Because if you keep it in the fridge, it's probably going to get ate. Cookies included. Or let's just say if you struggle with other things, don't keep it in your house. And if you struggle with going fast, don't buy a sports car. This is a cognitive process. How you think determines how you live. Do you want to grow spiritually? That's the question. Put on Jesus. You say, is that a once and done deal? Eh, it is in justification. But in sanctification, it's every day happening right now. And now. And right now. And now. And it'll be doing that all the way through your life. Because he who promised is faithful, who also will perform it. I'm going to ask JT to come. You've heard me mention the gospel. And as such, do you know Jesus? Is he your king? Is he on the throne of your life? Have you professed faith in Christ? Do you, are you, do you want to lay your sin down today? Well, then I would say do it. Call upon the Lord who will answer and give you new life. Repent of your sin. And Christian, if there are things that you need to clean out, keep cleaning. Let's use this few moments as JT plays just to kind of settle this before we leave today.